This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got great friend Jason Brown with me here today. And for those of you that know Jason, know his accolades and everything that he's done in the outdoor industry, but for anybody that's listening that isn't familiar with Jason Brown, um, in my opinion, I mean, one of the top, if not the top production um, editor that there is in not just the outdoor world, but in the, in the editing world in general, um, like the one behind dropped and so many, I, like I, Jason, I lost track of how many different TV shows and, and commercials and stuff that you came up with the creative <laughs> and, and done, but we'll, we'll touch on some of those today. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Just, uh, I'm literally, of course, to, uh, to the story here, I'm sitting in front of my, uh, in my edit bay right now, looking at, a <laughs> looking at the uh, last episode of drop that I'm putting together. So yeah, yeah, it's, it never ends. Never, never ends. How many, so how many hours a week do you spend in that edit bay? Oh man, this time of year, you know, starting in, in as soon as season's over with, obviously it's, it's big time, you know, edit season and, uh, anywhere from 60 to 80 yep. and, and no, no, not never under 60 during the big seasons. But that's why I have a, I have a nice studio in my house, in my basement. I've got it you know, really dialed in creatively. Um, it's a place that I look forward to coming to. Mm -hmm. And, um, I kind of created it that way, kind of surrounded by, I've got, you know, stuff on the wall, photos, uh, deer, just everything that, that reminds me. And I, sometimes I have to rest my eyes and sit back and look at an old photo or look at a, you know, look at a, a Buckeye shot or something. It just kind of takes me to a place and, and I jump back into it. But, yeah, man, it's a, it's a grind, but I'll tell you what, I, I love it. And, um, I guess that's the key, right? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, so before we get into everything you got going on now 
And really the big one that a lot of my listeners love is how you, how people got into the outdoor industry, right? Like I've hit anybody from how Blanton got into um, Chris and like any anybody in between, like a, a, from a guide yep. to an outfitter, anywhere in between, like there's so many different spots that you can, you can find your niche in the outdoor world. So I definitely want to talk, touch on that. But before that, like I always like to get a feel, like how did you get into hunting? Was it something that was done like – did your parents hunt? Like how, how did that happen that you got in the field? Um, so I grew up in a small town in in the middle of Michigan, a farming community. My, uh, my mom's family, um, they were farmers. There were seven brothers and sisters and, and they grew up on, on the tobacco river. And that river was kind of like my playground growing up. And my uncles hunted, uh, my dad gun hunted. Um, but you know, he was, I was, I had friends, all over family that hunted. So it was just part of the culture, mm-hmm. uh, up in, 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 Beaverton. And, um, you know, I, I really got into it, um, archery bow season, uh, when I was 12 years old is when we could start hunting back then, um, with our bows and, um, <clears throat> started hunting on the tobacco river and, and just got hooked, completely hooked, um, obviously fished and stuff growing up, but, uh, whitetail hunting with the bow, um, that kind of got me in. And that was, that was what got you hooked. And you were doing that with your, with your friends in school at the time. Yeah. So my best friend, Shad Woodruff, he's a, you know, he grew up in actually on that river right next to my family's farming. Uh, we've got a family has a bunch of farming, uh, property, a bunch of property right on this tobacco and, and their property butted up with my family. So, um, you know, it was just kind of natural. We, we grew up hunting together and, um, that's, that's really my, my right-hand man growing up, uh, was Shad and, and we did everything together. Do you guys still hunt together today? We do. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We still, yeah. Yeah. We still whitetail hunt. We deer hunt or and, and turkey hunt. We have boys that are the same age or they're about 10 months apart. Um, and uh, we've we take them turkey hunting together, and, and they've become you know really good friends now too. They play guitar together, they they do sports together, we hunt and fish together. So it's just kind of like that tradition um, when you when you carry it on, and you can see like the next generation um, kind of continuing the path that that you know created so many great memories and stories, and really it created a a. a a lifestyle and a profession for me. So, um, it's, it's fulfilling to see that. No, that's awesome. So do you, looking back now, do you have a favorite memory growing up when you were younger hunting? Yeah. So growing up, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. I think the, 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 when I think of the memory that pops up, we were in college and we had just started, um, we pooled our money together. I had five buddies and, uh, we, we didn't have anything at the time, honestly. We were, we were all athletes, and we didn't work side jobs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mowed some lawns in the summer. But we put our money together, and we got a, a nice camera. It was a Canon XL1. And it was – I remember this. I was the first one on the list in Michigan to get this camera. And, and I kind of was looking at it like, man, this could be like a game changer because it, it was affordable. It was like 6500 bucks, uh-huh. And it was, it was mini DV. And so – the first one of the first times we took that camera out in the field um i was i was i was filming shad uh woodruff my buddy woody and um 
a buck was working his way through the corn and we just saw these tassels kind of moving, you know, and, and it was something we were looking. I was recording, Shad shot the bucket, spun and ran and almost ran us over, got it all on camera. And, you know, that was the moment that hooked me. Um, it's probably one of the, the highlights, um, you know, growing up. It was a pretty good buck too back then. I mean, it was like a 95 oh, yeah. inch Mount Pleasant giant. Uh, but man, I tell you, it was, it was, it was crazy. And, you know, growing up, we followed Dan Fitzgerald. He was kind of like the pioneer, especially in Michigan, mm -hmm. being in, you know, down from Southern Michigan. Um, he was a pioneer. And, and at that point we started watching those videos and it really pulled me in. But as far as a memory growing up, that is probably, you know, one of my, one of my most, uh, that's the memory that pops out. So as you were as you were growing up and like in high school, did you have a feeling like, man, I would love to try to get into the outdoor industry, or what did you go to college for? Yeah, it's funny, and, and that kind of ties into you know Fitzgerald was was really the one that inspired me and, and said, you know, I looked at what he was doing. They were selling vhs tapes at the time by the thousands aged and, yourself aged yourself right there a big yeah. time this is pre-outdoor television now this is this is you know monster bucks i don't even know if they had started yet um you know the truth one i think with with will and 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 cuz was out but there wasn't much as far as entertainment goes, if you wanted to watch outdoor television there wasn't outdoor tv mm -hmm. you know it was it was vhs tapes but that is that is kind of what inspired me. You know, he was at all these deer and turkey spectaculars in Lansing and, and down in Grand Rapids. And I would make it a point to go and, and go to his booth. And, you know, there, there'd be a line. You know, I was just at NWTF. It's, it's the hunting public had a had a line. It was like 200 people long. Uh -huh. it, it was like that. But, you know, in 1988, you know, 1989, and, and I waited in line and I wanted to talk to him. And, you know, I, he brought the camera with him, he'd use, and it just, I was like, man, I want to, I want to tell stories. Like mm -hmm. I always was a kid that had a, I had a camera in my hands all the time and I didn't know it at the time. I just liked to, I liked the thought of, you know, when my parents camera, I could just video anything and it'll, I'll lock that memory in forever. You know, it's something that I always, I don't know why I loved it. I just, I just had a fascination with it. And then, you know, when I saw, man, this guy and his kid created a way to make money in the outdoors to hunt and to film it with a camera. I'm in like, how, how do I figure this out? Uh -huh. So um, that kind of takes me through high school. I go to college, still didn't have a clear path. And I went to Ferris state, played baseball my freshman year there. The program got cut um, and it turned into a club team. So I, I transferred to CMU to play baseball uh -huh. there. And then I kind of stumbled upon a, a, an elective class called BCA 422. Um, and, and what it was, it might've been 288. I, I think they still have it. It was a film appreciation course. And it was kind of like a, a leading class to the broadcasting and cinematic arts program they have at central Michigan. And I'm like, what, what is this? What's this, you know, broadcasting and cinematic arts program. 
Um, so I kind of got more information. I found out, man, you can shoot stuff for classes. You can learn how to edit. And I'm going to date myself again. This is just when nonlinear editing had started. So it wasn't tape to tape editing. Mm-hmm. We had, we had avid systems there. It was all computer-based editing. And I got, you know, it was rare to get your hands on that. So I'm, I'm all in. And at this point, you know, baseball, I was kind of burned out anyway, just mm-hmm. became a side story. I just stepped away from baseball and leaned completely in to learning the craft. And, and, and CMU at the time kind of still is, is more of a broadcasting school. So they set you up to work in the broadcast industry, news anchors, mm-hmm. weathermen, you know, people in, you know, nine and 10 news and, you know, those types of local news stations and, you know, larger scale, but that's what they were really about. They weren't, they weren't about, uh, an outdoor television hunting show. Like they, they had, you know, they, that isn't what they were built for, but I saw my way. I was going to use this, um, use the school to create my own niche in the outdoor industry. And, and I knew, um, the, the, the outdoor channel had just started. And I think this was like 97 or 98. And, and I'm like, here it is. Here's my opportunity. I'm at central Michigan. There's a broadcast, um, curriculum here. I want to learn how to be part of the broadcasting, um, you know, lifestyle in the outdoor world. I want to learn how to put shows together. I want to learn how to learn how to edit and, and kind of, that's where, that's where it, took me in in college is, is I got a degree in broadcast journalism, uh, produced a TV show, um, a local, super local, like to the city of Mount Pleasant TV show. First one in history that was hunting uh, for the student, uh, more hall television. It was just a real low, low broadcast signal. Um, won a ton of awards. And, um, and then that kind of launched me that, that gave me the confidence to go out and, and start my business. I was still, I started a, a company called Jack Pine Productions. Um, and um, my first show I, I ever produced was A-Way Outdoors with Greg Abbas. Uh, he was a Beaverton, actually a Beaverton, um, lived in Beaverton. And um, I said, Greg, I, I know how to edit. I know how to, you know, put these together. I studied, you know, what the outdoor channel needs as far as a format. We need to put a pilot together. This is how they're telling me I need mm-hmm. to do it. So we shot the pilot, submitted it, and they accepted it. And this was probably 1999 uh, or 2000. And that's when I graduated college. I started my business uh, as I was in college and never looked back. And then so walk us through the early the early years of after you started your business, like it seems like you got your, your first client while you were still in college. So you're, you're yep. going at both at the same time working on graduating. But at that time it looked like, yep. I'm guessing that was probably second fiddle to something you already had going in, in your career. Right. So you're, yep. you graduated college yep. as a side thing and, and kept going. Like after that first show, like walk us through the, the first couple years of having your own business. Um, I just had literally just did a podcast with, um, Jeff from Huntwise and walk through like what it was for him having the idea of Huntwise. It was actually like, he went through another app by himself before he even did that. Like, I didn't even know that story, but like, I, I loved hearing him have his own business and the learnings that he had early on that set him like how he looks back at those now today. Like what'd you learn early on of having your own business and how'd you grow up from one client to the next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like in the early part of the, the production, 
the video production company that I, that I started, Jack Pine, it wasn't enough. I wasn't making enough on that one show to, 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 you know, to make it, make it all happen. So yeah. what, what I did is, is I actually would do wedding. I would produce weddings, shoot and edit weddings. Um, I do about 20 to 25 a year. Um, and then I'd also do some corporate gigs. I did some, you know, picture video, anything that I could do to help, you know, create, because at the time the outdoor, outdoor industry, it was still niche. Like there wasn't enough work to create, a, a, you know, an entire, and, and, you know, there's a handful, very small group of people that created a, a, a company that could thrive mm -hmm. in that space. It was still growing. It was still, this was still, this was before Realtree Outdoors. This was before Road Trip, before Lee and Tiffany, you know, getting close, you know, the first, this was before all of that. So there still wasn't a clear cut path for me to do the outdoor hunt fish production. So I had to make things happen on the side until that space grew and matured. So the early stages of, I, I didn't have a business degree, not one person in my, in my family outside of my grandpa who ran a farm, which I guess you can consider that a business, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's a lot different than the business that I, that I was running. I couldn't ask anybody to, you know, how, For how advice to do anything. Or, yeah. I, no, I, I, I had to really learn on the fly and make mistakes on the fly. And, um, you know, I was part of some, some chamber, um, in some business networking and international was a thing I was a part of when I first started the, the company, I was really involved in like the chamber. I just tried to surround myself with other business professionals because I didn't know any. So, um, and I was only 23 or 24 at the time. So I was still figuring things out. Um, you know, just had gotten married, uh, just had gotten our first house. Um, thank God my wife had a good job at Dow. <laughs> I would have never probably been able to do what, what, what turned out to be a, you know, a 20 some year career now. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was a struggle, man. Like, uh, trying to balance everything. And, and I remember, you know, it, it wasn't easy. Well, I think that, I mean, that's great. Like, you know, at the time when you're going through it, it sucked, but I think for people listening, especially younger people, um, right now like think about what you had to do to make it right you were working yeah. two side jobs basically and yeah. all yep. those weddings if you're doing 20 to 25 weddings those all happen back then i mean a new thing can get married any day of the week but back then they're all saturday weddings right so that's they're all saturday yeah that's yeah. 20 to 25 weekends that you're working that you're gone and all this yeah. just to pursue your dream of getting into the outdoor world like that. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, when I think about this is pre-social media, this is pre-internet, really. I mean, this was the internet had just kind of, it's starting to blossom and to create a website, you know, for your, for your business was like, oh my God, I don't even know anyone who can do a website. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was all networking. It was like, you literally, uh, you know, had to talk to someone's face to, to get a job, you know? So it was, it wasn't, I couldn't boost a post on social media. I could, you know, just create a website and attach that to a bunch of social media stuff. I mean, it was literally grassroots growth. And, um, there wasn't, as far as I knew, there was one company in Michigan that was doing what I, what I had really, you know, the, the hunting production and it was Wolf Creek Productions down in Lansing. Um, those were the only guys that were doing it. And, um, and, and that's it. So I, 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 and I shouldn't say that 
Uh, Mike Avery is, is another guy who okay. was um, back when I had started. He was a guy that was in Midland, and I would call him because he was doing television shows at the time. So at, I would I would call him. I'd probably annoy him at the you know growing up uh, in the industry because I would call him on on with questions with you know formats to submit and and how things worked. But uh, Mike was an old vet, um, Mike Avery. So yeah, I mean there was. There was a lot of hard lessons early on. Which is yeah, which is all part that got you where you are today. Like that's one of the things I think everybody looks at when there are very few exceptions when you're known in the outdoor industry and it happens overnight. Right. Like the majority yeah, of people yeah. like I mean, you've been in it for twenty years, I'm pushing ten, like the Kiefer's been in it for yeah. fifteen, like think Waddell's been in it for twenty, like all these people, like holy smokes, look yeah. at them. They they just started and you're like, nah, they didn't just start, right? They got they got a ton of years into it before they got big. Um yeah. like now with social media, there's a handful of people that like it it happened. They they flipped overnight, but even those people there were still years behind the scenes that, that they were looking to get their niche. Like look at the hunting public. Like you mentioned them earlier, like you think all those people just all of a sudden flipped a switch and and became huge, right? Which they did, but they were all interns and so forth in the industry before that. Like they, I mean, when they were interns, they were hardly getting paid, right? They were getting food and a place to sleep to get, to get it and get their knowledge. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's, that's the, it, and you get it. I'm sure you get the question. I know you do. Yeah. I get the same question. How do I get in? You know, what are the steps yep. that I need to take? And I always tell everybody the same thing. And there's, there's a couple things here is one create a tool in an asset that nobody else, that they can't take away from you. Yep. Um, it's not enough to be a good hunter. That costs a lot of money. Yeah. You know, everybody is a good hunter. Everyone you talk mm-hmm. to, they're a good, they're a good hunter. Yep. Yeah, I know hundreds of great hunters, but if depending on the space you want to get into, create an asset in your tool belt, whether it's learning how to edit and tell stories, whether it's photography, whether it's writing, whether it's editing and production, that is something that that's, it's the foundation for growth in our space because everything revolves around content, product, mm-hmm. marketing, it's what it is. That's, that's what our industry is. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I did back in, I think 2005 is I created a, it was, it was a rack focus outdoor production uh, film school. So it was, it wasn't a school. It was a two weekend or it was a two day course, a really a three day course. And I saw such a need and, and I had gotten so many questions and, and so many people were taking the wrong path. So I created this school I'd probably do four or five of them a year. I'd mm-hmm. charge some money for it. They'd come in and I'd, I'd show them the path that I, that led me to where I was at the time and the things that you can do to kind of get in front of the next guy. And those were really popular. Those were, that was pre Campbell's outdoors, mm-hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, I think I'd probably at this point, I hadn't done one in probably six or seven years. Um, you know, probably 300 students have come through my course, you know, through the film school and really just position them and how to get started in the space. And, and to this day, I've got dozens of guys who, um, and, and girls that have been through my, um, film school that are now either own production companies, mm-hmm. work for big production houses, are lead editors, lead shooters, you know, the list goes on, but you know, that's, it's, 
I'm very proud of that because I wasn't one of those guys. And, and there's a story back in, in a, a long time ago, there was a very um, successful producer and I kind of sought him out in, at one of these trade shows. And I was probably, I was still in, in college. I just was in the program and I, and I'd wanted to ask him questions about his camera setups and, you know, some of the things mm-hmm. that he was doing and he was a little, you know, he was one of those guys, gigantic ego. And oh, yeah. the, he was standing behind his booth and he had this big old, you know, beta cam cameras on a tripod next to him. He had his old, you know, photo vest on and, and, you know, we're down in Lansing and you might be able to figure out who it is by just saying that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I asked him, I said, could you, I, I, I'm a student at, at, at at CMU and broadcasting and I'm, I'm producing a show, a local show, you know, just for the school. I'm just infatuated. I didn't want to learn as much as, as I can, you know, tell me a little bit about your camera and, and how he looked through me. Like I was nobody looked over me. Look, there's nobody at his booth, but me yep. wouldn't give me the time of day. And that pissed me off so much. And and it just, it fueled me. And, and if I ever see him again, I've seen him before. I haven't told him this, but if I ever see him, I'll, I'm just going to shake his hand and say, thank you for, for giving me the, the, the fire in my belly to, to be better than you. Yep. And, and, you know, that is the one moment that I can remember that just, I'm going to do it. You know, I am going to do it. I'm going to figure all this out. So when I started to, you know, I created Heartland Bowhunter and, and, you know, Pigman the series and a lot of these series that I was part of creating back in the, you know, mid 2000s, 2007, 8, 9, 10, during the big boom of outdoor television, you know, that's when I wanted to, to kind of be a teacher yep. and, and to not be that guy, to be somebody that could be, um, that could lead somebody in the right direction because the outdoor production space it, it, in the outdoor space and in, in general, it is such a, a beautiful place to be a part of. And, and it's such a beautiful place to make a living. And if I could be just a small part of showing some of these young uh, excited producers and shooters and editors, you know, a path of the right path, or at least start down the right path. I wanted to do that. So that's why I created that video school. Yeah. And, um, I, I think if you did that video school right now, you'd be shocked at how many people would sign up for it. Yeah, I know. I, I, I've been, honestly, I'm kind of putting one together for the summer, but yeah, I, I am. Yeah. And, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a very detailed, there's going to be a couple different versions of it because there's a lot of different places to kind of lean into yep. in our space. But I will say this, three years ago, I was approached um, by MidMichigan College and there's a JJ Mertz. He's, he was a, he's a math teacher there, but he also was a big outdoorsman. He had this idea and he's, and he said, you know, I'm trying to get a board member, a bunch of board members together because I want to start a program at mid that offers, you know, things in the outdoor space that can be, there's a similar program down South that was, that's very successful. And I said, I would love to be a part of that and the outdoor media side of things. And, you know, I would love to be, I've done this in the past. I would love it to be part of a curriculum. So over the last three years, we've put together a curriculum. So there's, it's the hunting and angling scholars program uh-huh. at mid Michigan college. And we've had a ton of students come through it. And now a lot of them are working in the outdoors 
some of our there's there's three different avenues of the of the has program there's entrepreneurship there is um there's outdoor like conservation so uh conservation officers in the through, through the dnr and then there's outdoor media which is kind of what i'm heading up so okay. anything in the outdoor media space whether it's you know production marketing um any any avenues the outdoor media is what i'm in control of so i have students that come through I teach them how to shoot, how to edit, how to tell stories, how to get to the next level and, and give them those tools in their tool belt to kind of take them to the next level. And, and now it's a legitimate program at, at MidMichigan College. So, but, but it's different than what I do for my video schools. Um, what I do there is, a, is kind of a fast track and it's already people who are you know, experienced or have some skills. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when they come into the MidMichigan program, they don't have any skills at all. Um, some do, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of doing that to, to fulfill that, uh, that part of me. Oh, that's awesome. So for anybody that would be interested in, in the stuff you're going to do this summer, where can they, where can they find out more info once you have it all put together? It'll be social media. It'll be through my socials. Yeah. Um, I've got a pretty good, uh, and I'll probably share it through, uh, Kiefer brothers as well. Um, so Kiefer brothers socials and my socials, but um, again, I, I do get a lot of questions about it and, and it, it seems to never stop. And I've just been so busy over the last, you know, eight to 10 years, eight years that I haven't with, it's more of kids, right? I mean, yeah. every weekend is a, is a sporting event, yeah. whether it's baseball, football, basketball, golf, you know, I have two boys, one's 12 and one's 16 and, and it's sports nonstop. Oh, yeah. And when it's not sports, I'm taking them out hunting and fishing with me. So um, I kind of reserve those special weekends to just for family, but I do have some windows coming up and I, I really do want to make it happen. So yeah, it'll, it'll be on my socials or I'll, uh, you know, other Kiefer brothers. Hey everybody. I just wanted to drop in and remind you of an important tag deadline. We have Utah elk, deer, antelope, moose, sheep, goat, bison on April 27th and Kansas has their deer on April 28th. The Idaho moose, sheep, goat on April 30th And to kick the month of May off, we have the Montana Moose, Sheep, and Goat on May 1st. Make sure to give the team at WT a call and get applied. Well, I'm guessing you probably realize the same thing because your kids are are very similar in age. My my oldest son is 17, and he's off to graduate here in two months. Um, We actually here on the University of Michigan here in 10 days, so fingers crossed. That's where where we're all hoping. Yep. Um, That's awesome. And then my oldest daughter's 15. She's a freshman. My youngest, Shelly, she's a seventh grader, and and she's 13. And I realized during COVID, right, because up until that, same as you, running all over the place, going just 24-7, 365, growing a career, growing a brand, trying to generate income, like – just going and then all of a sudden COVID you're, you're at home for a year and a half. And it was during that year and a half, like at the beginning, like I go to realize like, Holy smokes, my kids are old. And in that year and a half of being home with them and watching how much they grow in a matter of months, I'm like, man, this is like, I'm going to use different words here, but like, this is stupid, right? Like my kids are like, my oldest is going to be gone in a couple of years. My youngest is going to be gone in a few years after that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, my wife and I are staring across the table at each other, right? We're going to, I'm going to be 44. She's going to be 42 and the kids are going to be gone. And it's like the, the last 18 years of our life is just going to be, I mean, just like that, right? It's gone. So you're like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to back, 
back up a little bit in what I do in in the business world and commit the same thing you did. I'm going to be there on on every weekend that my kids have a sporting event or dance or whatever it is, band, like you you name it. I'm going to be there and make as many as I can. I'm going to set across months now that I don't travel just so I can coach my daughter's basketball team and make and make that because that time's so short and it's going to be over. And then all of yeah, a sudden, you know what, when, when my kids are gone, I can get back and, and being in your mid forties, like there's still a lot of runway left. I can start to grind again after that, but enjoy the time that I have my kids at the house. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And no one and, and nobody before he kind of backed off, no one was doing more than you were. No, I you was, were, I was rolling. I mean, I couldn't keep up with where you were, man. It was like so crazy. And I was so, you know, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished and everything you've done because, you know, we go back to, you know, when we started, when you came in and we started, you know, as business partners mm-hmm. together, you were just getting into it and, and you had this goal and vision and you just set out and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and you did it, man. So, you know, I give you huge props because over the course of, you know, six, seven, eight years, you, you've accomplished some incredible stuff and went to some amazing places. And yeah, I mean, you've done it more than 10, 10 lifetimes that I'll ever do, but to, for you to, you know, I know what kind of addiction that is, what mm-hmm. kind of drug that is. Oh, yeah. And for you to just give that up, you know, to an extent at the level that you were doing it to, to, you know, jump back in. You're right, man. It's like, sometimes there's that, there's that work-life balance. And when you do what you, when you love what you do, it's harder to have that work-life yep. balance because I do love it. I do love mm-hmm. the outdoors. I, I do love going on these experiences, but there was a point and, and, and you know, with dropped, it was the first year we did dropped with two it was 2011 and my oldest boy, he was four years old and my youngest was one, barely Ooh. one. So when you leave, you, yeah, they change, but it's not the same yep. as when you're leaving, when they're, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, yep. it's different. And, I remember it was, it was very hard. I, I went probably two or three drops without, without going at all, because it was just, it was too hard. I had mm-hmm. the boys, I just couldn't miss a month straight of their life. And it just, I, you know, I was still doing all the post-production, but, um, and, and, you know, producing and setting it all up, but man, it was just hard for me to get out there and do it, um, for that extended period of time. So yeah, that was kind of when I took my foot off the gas a little bit, um, in, in my, you know, traveling and, you know, I'll go on shoots all across the country and North America and just, you know, months at a time and in, in the, in the, in the September to January mm-hmm. season. And, um, yeah, I really backed off that, but I think, you know, building, we built a, you know, a production company and we had up to, you know, 25, 26 people at one time working together. So I, I you know, I trained, I trained enough quality shooters and editors that I knew that I could take my foot off the gas a little bit and we'd be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's kind of what my fallback was, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a freaking balance. And I think you kind of, you also hit the nail on the head. So there are a lot of people that want to be a field producer, right? So we're, we're, we're talking about ways to get in the industry and do that. One thing that I've noticed a lot over the last couple of years is, is that is the field producer, lifespan right so as you get into it you're younger and you're you're generally single and at that point in time for a field producer 
yeah, I can fill I can film 365 days a year. I don't I don't care where I go, what I'm doing. I can stay in a tent. I don't need service. I don't need anything. Well, over the course of the next few years, from what I've seen from numerous field producers, right? They get married. And then as soon as they have yep. that first kid, it is, yeah, I can keep doing it. But then it's like, well, I can't be gone for more than five days. And I can only take <laughs> so many trips. And then it just kind of backs yep. down. And that life is like, create the brand early of what you're known for. And then it's kind right. of back it off a little bit from the time that's needed in the field and more in the editing creative, like life, like that's, that's just how it goes. Right. Cause nobody, nobody yeah. can sustain 300 days in the field. You can, when you're younger and yeah. you're single, but then once you get married and have kids, you can't be in the field. I mean, 150 days, that's a ton. Yeah, no, it's, you're right. And, and that's, you know, early, early on, I knew, um, the, I knew what it takes to, to, to build your name in this industry. And, you know, there's so many opportunities, you know, as I was getting into it, Hey, come out here and, you know, film and, and, and put together a promotional piece for my outfitter and mm -hmm. I'll give you a, you know, free hunt. And I was like, hell no, man. Like yeah. I, I want, I wanted to be, I wanted to be, um, you know, a serious business producer, editor. Like I wanted people to look at me, um, not as just, I'm getting a freebie, but yep. no, I'm going to charge you for this. Yeah. Do I want, do I want to go shoot 170 inch bunk? Yeah. Absolutely. Do I want to elk hunt? Yep. Hell yeah, I do. But, um, but I also want this to be a part of my life and I want to make money from it and I want to grow it. And I want to, mm -hmm. you know, go from here to there. And then I'll say one of the biggest assets that you can have as a producer, as a, as somebody that, that wants to go in is the best, the very best shooters I have are editors and the very best yeah. editors are shooters. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is to know how to, how to put a story together in the edit bay and also know how to put it together on paper and pre-produce it and understand what it takes to tell that story in the field and, and to marry them up and to create something that creates emotion that connects to the audience that can actually move, move somebody. Yep. Um, that is the key. So, you know, of course, early on, you're building those connections. You, you don't do that in the edit bay. Yep. You do that in the field. Mm -hmm. That's that's boots on the ground. You get and you talk to hundreds of business owners, uh, you know, outdoorsmen, outfitters, you name it. You know, when you're in the field with them and you're and you're sweating with them, you're bleeding with them, you're telling stories with them, you're learning about their products, you're learning about, you know, what makes their business tick. You're slowly becoming you know, an expert in the, in the field. And then, you know, that is the field production phase of, of, of the of my life. Now I did them both at the same time. So I was out shooting. I was also editing, but a great step is as you're shooting, you know, spend two, three years, four years, whatever it takes to really embed yourself in the industry mm -hmm. to do quality work, to have quality gear. And so when someone calls you and said, Hey, uh, Mark Peterson's going to come shoot this for us. Everyone's like, Oh, that's freaking great. You know, mm -hmm. he's solid. How'd you get him? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and then you develop that name along the way. There's a lot of people who are just shooters and that's great. But like you said, we've went through lots of shooters, burned them out yep. and burning them out. Meaning the, their life's change. As soon yep. as they say, have that serious girlfriend, you're like, Oh boy. Yeah, she, the, the, days they, are, the days are counting at that point. Days are numbered, yep. man. So, um, yeah, that's that's key. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I think that being being in the edit bay, like the great ones are are always editing in the field. And if you've been in the edit bay, yes. you know the transition. Something may happen in the field that's that's dramatic, and you're like, I can I can use this, right? But yep. Yep. now we need to backtrack, and we need to set it up because I, I didn't get setting it up because it just happened. Like we weren't planning on it. But now I need to do the stuff beforehand to really max it out. And then after, like those are the guys that you can tell their wheels are always going, right? Like they wake up yeah. in, the, in the day in the field and they know exactly what they need to get in the morning. But then something happens in the field and they're already backtracking to get what they need to to lead up to it. Like those are that's right. And and the you really get it by being an editor, right? Like you have to you sit do. in the edit bay and get footage from somebody else and go through it and be like, man, they unfortunately you got to go through the part of man, you missed this. Or it would have been great right. if you would have been great if you had that just so you can learn and, and get in the field. So when you look at, let's talk dropped, okay? Yep. Let's put let's put the producer's hat on, um, and you're going like the idea drops there. What do you do pre like before you even take off to Alaska? What are you doing pre yep. before you get up there? So from the production standpoint, specifically, yeah. So. All right. It's a, uh, it depends on, we got to figure out where we're going, yep. you know? So first when we identify, okay, if we're going to the Yukon, I know that in the Yukon or Canada, we can have generators to help charge our, our stuff. Okay. Um, so back in the day we'd have gas generators. We shot a, this wasn't drop, but we shot a, a, a drop like series. It was a, it was a special two hour special for, animal planet that was very dropped ask it was called brothers of the wild and never actually hit i think it went international for a little bit but um it it never actually made it because animal planet had had shifted from surprisingly human to animals again and we're in that transition so we kind of got shelved but out there we could use a generator so we had a, a a small honda generator and we had a couple jerry cans of gas and and that would help charge the batteries it's all about power out there um how are we going to keep the cameras powered now nowadays batteries are much better transfer speeds are much better so transferring all the all the information from your cameras cards to your hard drives um here's a great example so season one of drop we're using the sony ex1 cameras I swear to God, my favorite, one of my favorite cameras of all time. It just had everything. Um, but the, they had S by S cards, which were notoriously really slow transfer speeds. So 
you know, we had, I'm looking at one right now, actually, uh, 32, <laughs> there's a 32 and a 60 gigabyte S by S card. And we we're just shooting HD. There was no 4k back then, but w- what we had to put into the equation was, okay, how much battery power is going to be required to push this, this S by S card from its card reader into the, the laptop computer mm-hmm. and then into a hard drive. What's that process take and how the hell am I going to charge my, my computers? So in, in, in the Alaska, uh, the Arctic national wildlife refuge, where we filmed season one, season five and season eight of drop the most recent season, you cannot have any power, any motors. So season one, right out of the gate, I'd be like, shit, how do I figure out? I, it has to be solar. Mm-hmm. So I did all this research on solar and, and that is a big part of it. I'm kind of diving into the solar rabbit hole, but it is a big part of it. We had solar mats. We had to figure out the workflow. We had these things called impel units. It was basically the battery that was sucking in the power from the mats. And then we'd use the USBs. Um, outputs to charge all of our batteries mm-hmm. and stuff, but that is a big one. One is 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 the elements you're going to be in, and then um, you know from from a charging standpoint. But yeah, elements. What's the weather like? Um, we have to figure out and get enough you know stuff to protect our gear because you lose a camera out there, you're dead in the water. Yep. So and you and you can't bring multiple backups if you're remote. All of dropped is 100% remote, uh, off the grid. Um, you know, hunt-based survival. Mm-hmm. So um, we have to be light and we have to be smart about how we pack and we can't have five backups. We have maybe one backup um, and that's it, one backup plan. So weather is another big one. How are we going to protect our gear? Um, and then mobility, um, you know, transportation is a big part of drop. One season we had horses, the mm-hmm. rest of them we had rafts. So uh, we know that we have a limited space on our raft and Horses is, is a is a whole different thing. Season oh, yeah. two of dropped in the Yukon. That was a completely different animal. But we'll, let's talk about rafts for a second. Um, in a rafting scenario, we have two rafts, and we always have a backup drive, a mirror drive of of our master drive. So when we fly in the planes, we never put both hard drives together. We always put them in separate bags, separate packs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have one, and the other shooter producer will have one. Um, same with the rafts. One raft will have one set of hard drives. The other raft will have the other set of hard drives. So if for some crazy reason a plane goes down, and as bad as it sounds, a plane goes down mm-hmm. or the raft gets, you know, goes down and, and, and you can't, you at least have one version of everything that you've shot because you go out here, there's, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of time yep. at stake. There's, you know, with drop dropped as a, is a, is an outdoor channel, original series. They put dollar into our show. They're partners with us on that show. So if we come back with no hard drives, uh, yes, you really no skin off their back because they won't run it. Um, but it is off ours because, uh, we'll have to pay the money back. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's all these things that you have to think about. So, um, you know, you have footage and storage, you have how to power your cameras. You've got the weather, but then you've got to understand what types of stories you'll be telling out there. Um, so if you're in, in, in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, um, you're hunting, uh, you're hunting moose, you're hunting caribou, you're hunting black bear, which are pretty few and far between. Yep. Um, and there's wolves out there. 
So you have these things that you can hunt and we do all of it, um, you know, DIY style. So it's just us out there. You can't shoot a goat, a sheep, a grizzly. Mm -hmm. You can't shoot those without a guide or unless you're a resident of Alaska. So um, those are the things that we're focused on. And, and that's all these storytelling assets are, uh, are these, these storytelling vehicles, these animals a lot of times they live a long ways uh, away from they, they're a long ways away from where you're shooting. So the next thing is how am I going to tell the story of an animal that could be a mile away and make it a personal experience for the viewer? Mm -hmm. So you have to find specialized optics. Um, this year we used a Swarovski spotting scope um, hooked on with an A1 Sony in, in a digiscoping uh, situation with a special connector there so we were able to reach out um at a mile mile and a half and really pull in you know moose sheep bears wolves like i felt like this was a, a, a one of the the only years we were able to and we shot that all at 8k so that is it's not even a 4k it's at 8k so we're able to pull that story in and tell that that um, and it was a huge part of our, you know, he is currently running. I think it's episode five right now uh, this week, but drop, that's a huge part of drop is being able to connect um, us in what's happening in the hunting story with the animals and what they're doing. And we were able to get some incredible footage. That's awesome. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leopold.com. So yeah. as you, like, explain, not just necessarily on drop, but for any time that a field producer's in, in the field, like, what's the morning like? compared to if if you think just waking up to go hunting right like what's the morning of a field yeah. producer before you even get to the field well it starts a lot earlier than anybody else mm -hmm. um and it goes later than anybody else so you know a great example is you know when we're shooting during the whitetail season and a lot of people think oh whitetail season that's not i mean that's not bad that's a freaking grind yeah you know the whitetail season sometimes you're up at you know, you need to be on stand at 5 a.m., you know, 45 minutes, hour before sunlight mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, but what happens is that starts for the shooter um, about a half hour to an hour before anybody else because they have to get up, make sure their batteries are charged, make sure their cards are cleaned off and everything's organized, make sure they have backup batteries, make sure that they're set up to go so when, that, when the hunter gets up, um, they're ready and, and rocking and rolling. Yep. And, you know, and then that extends when you get out of when you get out of the the stand and you go back to camp. Sometimes there's stories to tell at camp. Maybe mm -hmm. somebody you know shot a deer. You're you're telling you're tracking it with them. You're doing some interviews. You know you're shooting stuff around camp. And then oh wait a oh they're having dinner. Uh, oh I'll grab something real quick. 
And so now you're pushing all the footage that you shot that day. You're pushing it to a hard drive and you're monitoring what you've got. You're looking at clips. You're making sure, you know, the lighting, the levels look good. The audio levels look good. You're making sure there's not anything weird going on. And, and that lasts until 10 or 11 o'clock most nights. Yeah. Um, and then you go to sleep and it's a four or five hour, you know, and that's, that's, that's the norm. You know, that's during the whitetail rut, you know, for about 20 to 30 days, it gets wild. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're a, if you're a whitetail storyteller, that's what, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. And you most, know, it's, it's just like, just like, you know, I mean, oh, the yeah. outfitters that you have working at a lot of the guide services that, that you, you know, run and operate, it's the same way for them, oh, yeah. right? I mean, you're basically an outfitter. You're mm-hmm. a guide, um, and and there's a lot of responsibility. Yep, yeah, and especially because a lot of times, even for filming, right, you'll be in a camp with with four or five guys. One guy, the hunter that that may shoot, right? Well, the field producer yep. normally bounces the next day with no break to another guy, just to try Correct. to get a, a, as more story and more footage and and everything and. And it's the like okay, everybody else is enjoying dinner, and the the field producers are sitting there downloading footage, right, and cataloging Absolutely. it, so so they know what it is when they get back in there, and and it is the short nights, and the short nights add up, especially yeah. I mean like when you guys were doing rival of twenty to thirty thirty nights in the whitetail woods, like man, oh, that'll yeah. wear on you. That'll wear on you, man, and and um, I mean you know how it goes. Oh like, yeah, you're out there, and it's it's like day two, and you know ideally you don't want to you don't want to kill an animal on like the first two days because you just don't have enough story story yeah yeah you have no story so ideally on a seven day hunt you're looking at about day four Mm -hmm. you know that'd be phenomenal to you know to tell that story to wrap it up on day four usually you have enough of storyline mornings and evenings to to kind of piece everything together um but man there's times where you know either the, the hunter misses or you know things don't work out and you're more times than not you're you're hunting until the last day that you can possibly hunt yep. you know i mean that's you're maximizing your time in the field and you know i can't tell you how many times i've looked at you know i'm looking at drop footage from this year we've got i don't know probably um 80 to 100 hours probably more than that actually of, of footage but i but i'm using it all you know yeah. I, I, there's not stuff on the cutting room floor you know there's there's little moments that i'm not utilizing but um with dropped i think it's everything we shoot out there is shot with purpose so mm-hmm. um and i think that's that's the key when we go out and we shoot a scene the sheen is the scene is shot with so much purpose that you know we use every stitch of what we shoot. We use the, the time lapses. We use the wides, the tights, the, the scenics, you know, we use all of it. And, um, it, it's funny right now I'm putting the behind the scenes, um, episode together. So we have a, our last episode is a behind the scenes and it's all the things that, you know, you didn't see on the production side and a lot of stuff on, on the hunting stories that, that didn't go in or did we didn't have time or the storyline didn't quite line up to tell them and drop. Mm-hmm. But we have one episode where we kind of, you know, open Pandora's box and, you know, you can look behind the, behind the curtain as to, you know, the things, um, the things that were missed. And, and um, it's probably one of my favorite episodes to put together is a behind the scenes because it's, it's a lot of how we produce it yep. out there. Oh, that's awesome. So, real, what is the difference between 
a good field producer and a great field producer? Um, it's, it's funny. Um, the good ones and we touched on this and it's a little more than this, but the, the great field producers are editors Mm -hmm. and the great editors are field producers. But what makes them great is they are relentless out there. They understand that if they even think if they, if it crosses their mind, if they say, man, I wonder if I should No, you get that shot. It's never, I wonder if I need to grab that. If you're wondering, you need it. Yep. And, but the but the 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 ones that are elite level, they're gear nerds. They they get into the gear. They understand the trends in cinematic storytelling. They understand camera movements. They understand how this shot is going to go into the next shot. They understand how the transitions. And this is the this is the the part that most shooters takes them the longest to understand is the transition from one place to the next. Yep. And that's the hardest to tell as a storyteller in the edit bay is I need transitional shots that gets me out of the tree stand and back to camp or back from camp to the tree stand. And, and those are the things that, you know, in a commercial, I, what are the, how am I going to set it up? I always walk it, think big, walk yourself in Yep. the last 20 years, man. It's, it's been incredible what, what has happened. Um, you know, when we first got in, and there's just so many things to talk about here, but I won't bore everybody with the stuff. But, you know, shooting on tape, that's that's one <laughs> huge aspect. That's one huge change. You know, I've still got 100 pounds of mini DV tapes in my back room here um, from the from back in the day. You know, you, you would go out on a shoot um, and you'd have to buy a block of, you know, a brick of 20 mini DV tapes that, that held up to an hour. Um, now it just shoot on a card, you know, and, and you just, you know, throw the card in a reader and you push it to a hard drive. Back then you shot a tape. When you're done shooting the tape, you flip the tab to make sure you don't shoot over it and you put it in the case and you label it, and you put it away, put in a new tape. You know, that is, you know, that is a huge change um, going from linear production, linear shooting to digital. Um, that has been a huge, huge game changer. Um, another one has been just the scale of, of the size of the gear, you know, back when I started beta, beta cam SPs, they were big shoulder mounted rigs with giant tapes. They were loud, big fans, you know, um, they were heavy. I mean, even, you know, my first couple big jobs in the mountains, I was carrying 15 to 20 pound cameras, man. And it was just like, you couldn't, it's almost hard to even think about doing that now. Um, but that was a big change when they started to scale down. You know, I think the first small-ish production type camera, I mean, was the, it was the Canon XL1. And then you had the GL1. Then you had the PD-150 and the Sony PD-170. Those are smaller cameras. And then when I talk about the PD-170, that is what was the breakthrough in low light. Low light would always get you as a shooter, and especially in, when you're hunting wildlife. Um, you know, they do a lot. There's a lot of movement in the morning, a lot of movement in the evening. In low light, I can't tell you how many deer I've either passed up or how many deer that have gotten passed up mm-hmm. um, that are that would be on my wall right now or somebody's wall that um, that we couldn't shoot. We're out of camera light. Yep, that is a term that's not even used anymore because you know the low light technology in these Sony A7s is insane. I mean, the A7S is the first camera to really break that low light mold. Um, even the the first DSLR that I used, the the, the Canon 
um, the mark, uh, the five D mark marked three. Um, that was a DSLR. It shot through glass, but um, but it was it was terrible in low light. So low light technology is another huge one. So we've got the size of the cameras. We've got you know the way you move media from from your camera to a hard drive. Uh, and then we've got low light. Now we've got more technology coming. It's the quality of the images, which mm-hmm. has changed. And I think the biggest thing that I saw when the boom happened with that, I was a big part of in the outdoor industry was the cinematic boom. You know, when, when we did uh, back in the day, draft was kind of on the a part of this, but you know, when we did backcountry quest for, for a handful of years um, and then Heartland bow hunter, when, when we created Heartland bow hunter, there was a there was a cinematography boom that happened that was completely tied into the DSLR cameras the mm-hmm. the the cameras that had removable lenses that you shot through real glass you weren't shooting through kit lens glass like your 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 one one in the same your even like the Canon or the Sony EX1 that's just kit glass and Zeiss glass but you can't take you know a, a 70 to 200 lens or a 16 to 35 lens you can't take it off and put it back on that's when the 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 beautiful depth of field opportunities happened in in outdoor storytelling and that's when people kind of got crazy um that's when the boom you know you started getting the dollies the the hand dollies uh you'd start doing sliders and then the next phase was slow motion you know, when you start being able to shoot 60 frames and then 120 frames per second, then 240 frames mm-hmm. per second, that was those were some big changes that helped um, us as storytellers in the outdoor space create better stories, mm-hmm. um, create more dynamic storytelling. And then when drone technology, I remember, you know, this was probably back in 2014, we spent $25,000 on just one drone. And that's not even the camera you'd put on it. And, and you know, we'd strap on a, a 5D on that sucker and throw it, you know, a thousand feet in the sky and watch that thing fall out like a big lump <laughs> of shit, hit the ground and explode. Yeah. And, and we're like, oh, my God, that's $30,000 is gone. Uh-huh. And, you know, my insurance guy is a really good buddy. And, and, and he, they paid for it one time. He's like, oh, that's the only time that this will be covered we're not going to cover a drone anymore. And that's before D that was D, built with DJI components, mm-hmm. but that wasn't a DJI drone. There was still firmware updates that you'd have to do almost weekly or else you'd get a drone that would call the, you know, the, the death roll. They did <laughs> literally just fall out of the sky. And, uh, we had one of them happen on season three of dropped. We had a drone that fell out of the freaking sky. Oh. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at all these technologies that has kind of transpired, but the fatal flaw that I see producers, editors, storytellers in our space is they lean in too much to the most recent trend. Yep. So, you know, you have, again, GoPros, uh, the POV story is important. I remember running a, a POV lipstick camera um, to a, a recorded, a recording device in, in, it was a, it was on a, basically a cord and I would hit record on the camera and it would record what the POV camera was looking at. You know, that's before GoPros. They're another thing that have changed the way stories are told, but you need to use all these tools together. And I think our industry in the past has really gotten too heavy into, you know, there, everything would be a drone shot. Everything would be a slider. Everything would be a a close up with so much fall 
fall off that uh-huh. you know it was blur- everything's blurry behind it because they got in love with that depth of field type of storytelling or everything would be slow motion you know but it's great these are all tools that you have in your tool belt you add these in when you need to add them in but don't overuse them use a pov when it makes sense use mm-hmm. you know over crank a shot when you want to get that slow motion that that real you know, that, that connection to a song or to sound, you know, and then as far as, you know, drones, run a drone to open a scene and run a drone to, to close a scene if you need to. Yep. And maybe as a transition, that's the, been the biggest, um, you know, that's been great is to have drone photography drones are a huge part of, of transitional storytelling that wasn't there, you know, when we, when we started. So, you know, those are all the big things, technology things, I think, in our space. And th- and just being able to, you know, to push things out now on YouTube or, you know, even in the post-production side, we used to have to close caption, get a closed caption tape. You know, you'd send a tape to, and you put it in the mail. I remember running the FedEx. We'd have an episode done. And, and I'd run to FedEx five minutes before they closed pay a hundred dollars to get it next day to the closed captioning facility because the closed captioning facility need, and you paid 350 to $500 for that. You know, you were a thousand dollars in to just getting your episode to the network before it ran, because you're always working last minute to try and get your, you know, all the bells and whistles of an episode done. But now, you know, I just uploaded two episodes on Saturday night. Um, and just uploaded it to a portal. I did all the closed captioning myself in, in Premiere Pro. So, you know, to me, I just, I feel like an old bastard because <laughs> I laughed to myself. I laughed to myself and chuckle. I'm like, what the, the, the things that I used to have to do to make things work is, is crazy. Uh-huh. It's absolutely mad. What, what used to have to come together to get one episode to the network before it hit, hit air. And, um, now it's just, it's at my fingertips, man. Like I, I don't even have to leave this edit bay, you know, it's, it's nuts. No. Oh. Well, that, I mean, like, and you covered so much stuff today. Um, when you do me a favor, when you get everything lined up for the summer on your classes, let me know. Cause I'll share that, um, and kind of link it together with, with this podcast and everything across us just to get oh, more gosh. people in there. Cause we get, I, you know, we just like everybody, if you're on TV, you get a ton of, Hey, how do I, how do I start filming? How do I do this? And you ask the question and they've got, well, I filmed my buddy and you're like, eh, well you got a long, long, yep. long way to go there, but like go to the school. Yep. There's so many ways to just, and, and that'll get you in a, in one shoot and then use that yep. opportunity to get into another and just keep growing, right. growing after that. That's right. That's right, man. That's one step, one step to the next and and there's no you said it in the very beginning there is no easy road there is no quick uh fix to getting into this space and and even people like you know the hunting public um you know or or you know daniels you know these guys that you think it just hit it did not no these guys were doing this years ago Mm -hmm. you know years ago it took years to get to build what they've done and and it's it's not easy but man i'll tell you there's it's possible and anything is possible in this space. You just have to understand the right steps. Step one leads to step two, to step three, to step four. And that's something that I've kind of got mastered. And um, yeah, I, 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 anybody who calls me or reaches out, I always get back to them. 
Yep. Never leave them hanging. Like that is one thing I want to make sure, you know, in our industry, it's tough. I, it, the, the linear television space, it's different than it ever has been before. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sad, man. Like it, I remember and you were part of this too, but the big boom in the outdoor television world, I mean, it happened and, and it, there was nothing like it. It was, there was nothing like going to the shows and seeing all these, you know, outdoor personalities. And, you know, there, it was the, it was the, you know, there will never be a time like that again in, in, in our space, like the, like it was. And, yeah. and, uh, but it's, uh, it's transitioned and, and I'm also part of that transition and understand how to make that happen for you too. So yeah, you've been, you've been really good in, in transitioning what you're doing into the digital world and the YouTube space. And yeah, you've been, you've been instrumental, you know, that's been instrumental, I think for you. So well, it's just one of those huge, things like, huge kudos. like for everything, you just got to keep learning as you go. Right. Cause it changes, everything right. changes week to week. And like, you're like, okay, what are, what are the trends now? What do we got to get on? What are yeah. the platforms? How do we got to edit a little bit different on this platform from the other one? And just like anything, you got to yep. keep growing, right? You got to keep learning, got to keep gotta growing. Got to keep growing. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, perfect, man. I'm looking at the clock. We're, we, I mean, what I tell everybody is when we usually get talking on the podcast, an hour breezes by like you don't even know what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Exactly. We could have, I mean, we didn't, there's so, there's so much we could have talked about. But yeah, I, I appreciate um, you having me on and, you know, like I said, I'm super passionate about, you know, storytelling and our industry. And, and, um, you know, I'm just, I want to see it continue to, to build professional careers for as many people as possible. And, and I know you are uh, the same way. Yep. So, um, I appreciate you, you giving me some, <laughs> some time to talk to you, man. Yeah, no, man. It's great to catch up. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple podcast. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.